Welcome to the Sheila Kham Extractive Podcast. It's my pleasure today to welcome Carolina Rojas Hayes. Carolina is a public policy, stakeholder engagement and sustainability consultant with 20 years of experience in the public sector of Colombia and in international institutions. She formerly served as vice minister for mines in her home country, Colombia, where she led policies to improve the mining sector's competitiveness, transparency, and compliance with high social and environmental standards. Carolina also represented Latin America and the Caribbean on the EITI board. She currently serves as a director of PACT Inc. Women in Mining Colombia, ISA, Latin America's largest energy transmission company. I had the pleasure of meeting Carolina during our work through the EITI International Board in Bogota, Colombia. Carolina, welcome to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. It's really nice to talk to you again. Thanks, Sheila. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast again. Fantastic. So I wanted to talk to you about uh, the environment, critical minerals, or otherwise called green minerals, and ESGs. I wanted to specifically get your perspective on policies and, and how we can benefit from this, especially looking at the issue from the Latin American lens. So let's just start with uh, what you mean by green supplier of minerals. Well, Sheila, like some of your previous guests on your podcast had men have mentioned, there's going to be a very large demand of minerals going forward in order to support things such as energy transition, electric mobility, and the like. Some estimates say, for example, the International Energy Agency says that we will be demanding six more times of minerals by 2050. The big question is, how are we going to supply these minerals and whether we could do it in a way that is environmentally sustainable and that is responsible. And I think that that's where this green minerals concept comes by, which is to ensure that these minerals that are supporting issues such as energy transition and the like are produced responsibly, they reduce environmental impacts, and that it ensures prosperity for the communities where these minerals are mined. So essentially, green minerals uh, cut across the environmental aspect of ESG, the social and the governance aspects. And, and, and basically we want to make sure that as we ramp up production of minerals, we can say with absolute certainty that not only do they contribute to transition to clean energy, but in effect, they're procured in compliance with best practice, environmentalists, socially and governance. Is that correct? That is correct. And I think uh, the mining industry in general has been moving towards addressing and ensuring that we are complying with these standards that, as you say, are not only environmental, but also imply good practices in the social aspect of mining in terms of relation, relating to communities, but also in the G of ESG, the governance issue in terms of being transparent, reducing corruption, and things like that. That is the kind of mining that uh, the world expects to be the one that contributes to these other very pressing issues in which mining is essential, such as energy transition, 
uh, making uh, mobility electric, etc. So, so I mean, at the risk of uh, asking the obvious, how if we think of it from an a physical environmental perspective, how does this help our course in seeking to protect the environment, especially a, a very biodiverse environment such as the one that you and I know exists in Colombia? Well, I think what has to happen is that we have to make sure that producing the minerals that are going to help, for example, reduce the world's carbon footprint, don't generate more uh, carbon emissions or other impacts to the environment, including, as you mentioned, the issue of biodiversity. It doesn't make sense that we are having electric vehicles uh, where there are all these minerals being included in these vehicles, but those minerals come at the cost of deforestation or reducing the biodiversity of areas such as Latin America or Africa or Asia. So what we need is to have certainty or at least try to get minerals that comply with certain standards and that ensure that those impacts have been minimized and addressed. So really it's about avoiding mistakes of the past where we industrialized, uh, you know, in some parts of the world, even reduced poverty, people live better, but in the process we were destroying the environment. So what we are saying now is we acknowledge we need minerals, by all means we will uh, extract minerals, but this time we want to look back and say, as we were doing this, the environment was not in effect uh, being damaged and that in effect we did good environmentally and in terms of transition. So let me ask you uh, another question. Does this suggest then that a new standard by which companies and product uh, need to be assessed will be put in place so that we can say, yes, this company, this product and everything that comes from it complies with this notion of uh, supplier of green minerals? I think in the mining industry, like in many other industries, there are many standards already in place that can help ensure that objective that you just mentioned. Just to mention a few of them, uh, there's the TSM uh, standards of the Canadian Mining Association, the ICMM. There are specific minerals that have their own standards like copper mark or the ones associated with gold, which address many of these issues. Uh, and so we don't really need a new one. I think we should just try to comply with the ones that are available and try to get the best of all of these different standards that are in the market. And I think ultimately, going to your, to your previous question, the issue is how do companies and consumers ensure that there is a proper due diligence, that we really know where minerals are coming from, and to that extent, some of these standards can help determine whether these minerals have been produced with the standards that the industry is setting itself uh, towards. So talking of due diligence, I'm reminded of this concept of uh, greenwashing because every time you set up a standard, isn't it, you, you always run the risk that uh, people will associate with it but not uh, remain true to the intent of that standard. And, and so uh, to start with, can you just explain to the Sheila Kama Extracted Podcast listeners, what we mean by greenwashing. 
I think greenwashing is when uh, companies or institutions or whomever uses these standards to publicly say that they're using the best standards, but not necessarily doing so. And so this greenwashing is very unfortunate because it means that there, there, there can be a, a diminished trust on these standards. But I think what we have to be reminded of is of the following. I think standards are just references, references for anybody who's interested in the industry, but it doesn't replace or substitute like the proper due diligence that uh, consumers or, or buyers have to do of their all of their supply chains. And that doesn't only apply to mining, but it applies to all of the sectors. So I think greenwashing is when, when we just stay at the standards, but we don't dig deeper and we really understand what the standards measure or don't measure. And I'll give you a very quick example, not to so that we don't extend in this question, but I think it's very interesting. There's a study that uh, the GI said sponsored here in uh, the Andean region with a program called MINSUS. And they analyze uh, how much information is available for communities with regards to the impacts of their environment, of the mining projects around their uh, communities. And what they found is that there's a lot of information available, but not enough information. And it's, the information is not available so that everybody can understand it. So a company could potentially be complying with the standard, but the standard doesn't really show that communities don't understand the, the impacts of the mining project in the region. I think that's a very, a very good example of does the box ticking exercise of the standard versus really making the standard or whatever you're measuring be understandable and be useful for those stakeholders who are interested in different projects and impacts. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting what you're saying that uh, there should be a difference between actual due, due diligence and people understanding enough to be able to assess and determine whether there is due diligence and that the standard merely measures what we are doing, but it does not replace uh, what we're doing, which makes me think then, I mean, by creating these various standards, whether they are ICMM or you know, the responsible gold or the Kimberley process for diamonds, are we not therefore setting ourselves for fall? Because what happens when we create these standards is that we, we offer uh, those who don't mean well a, a tick box. Shouldn't we maybe avoid the temptation to do uh, standards and avoid uh, encouraging greenwashing? No, not at all. I think that standards are useful as a reference, especially for some uh, projects that perhaps are beginning their journey of understanding what this all ESG discussion is about. And so they are a reference that shows them what they should be measuring, what they should be looking at, and it's a guide. Uh, I think it's in that sense, I think standards are useful. They also allow for comparisons between different projects. Um, what my point is, is, if you really want to understand impacts uh, of projects uh, and you're a buyer, I think you should delve a little bit deeper and understand really what's, what's going on use the standards as references, but, uh, but go a little bit further. So coming to Latin America, which is a home to a wealth of minerals, um, gold has been mined since the Asian people, whether it's the Aztec, the Incas, and, and others who have preceded uh, current generations. 
and we're still mining copper big time in Chile. But at the same time, you have, of course, the Amazon basin and all the other uh, systems uh, in the Panama Peninsula and, and, and so forth. So when, when you think about this potential tension between renewables and non-renewables, from a policy perspective, what role do you think a region like Latin America uh, has in perhaps promoting green mining in order to protect the environment by being, for instance, exemplary? Well, yes, I think, first of all, I think there's a great opportunity for the region to be a big player in these critical minerals and to do it in a, an environmentally responsible manner. As you mentioned, the region has perhaps the largest deposits of copper in the world. I think it's between Chile and Peru, it's 30% of the world production of copper, which is going to be essential for, for energy transmission going forward. But there's also very interesting deposits in lithium in Argentina in Bolivia, in Mexico, some other minerals in Peru. So there's a very large potential. Like for example, there's one study by the Inter-American Development Bank that says with only the deposits that are known right now, and that excludes precisely these potential deposits in the Amazon basins and the like, could be around $50 billion by 2050, or something around the size of a country like Uruguay. So there's a lot of potential going forward. And I think there's potential for green mining or mining done properly, because there are certain conditions that can help that happen in the region. Uh, there, the institutions and the governance structure of, mo of most of the countries in the region is, is, is stable. Of course, there are some, some things that can be improved, but, more th but there's democracy in most countries. Uh, most countries welcome private in sector investment, require high standards. So there are conditions there in order to produce uh, policies and regulations that can help uh, protect all of these biodiversity and, and uh, potential areas um, in the environmental uh, perspective. So I'm reminded that I think it was probably uh, either 2017 or, or, or 2018 being in Argentina where Latin American ministers gathered to set up a mining sustainable uh, development forum. And I know that uh, the design of policies initiative uh, are at different levels, but where policies exist and laws, what are some of the examples of some of the more successful provisions that in your view uh, speak to green mining in Latin America? Well, as you say, there are differences amongst countries, but in general, I think most environmental legislation in the region is pretty solid. There's good provisions in terms of protecting water uh, basins, in terms of including biodiversity in environmental assessments. Uh, there are some uh, advances in terms of tailings and mine closure um, and, other, and other issues like that. In the other issues of the ESG, for example, most countries um, they follow uh, foreign prior and prior import consent, human rights, in governance, many countries follow, for example, the EITI. So there are good provisions that, of course, differ from country to country, but and then some of them can be improved. But there's a good basis in order to uh, guarantee that the mining that is produced in the region is done with good standards. But, but I know you continue uh, through your work to co to collaborate with others and conduct studies. 
and 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 delve deep into this notion of uh, uh, green uh, supply of minerals. So when you look at these policies, do you identify any specific policy and regulatory frameworks that have you know gaps that need to be addressed as a matter of agency before we scale up uh, the mining of critical minerals? Yes, for example, in environmental regulation, there are things that could be improved. For example, in terms of water and biodiversity management. The standards, the best standards in the world uh, encourage a lot of participation from communities uh, in order to understand the impacts that mining can do for water and biodiversity. And I think some regulations in some countries can could have more clear participation from communities and have more transparency in the use of these resources. Another issue that is also, depending on the country, more advanced or less advanced is, for example, tailings management. Of course, a country like Brazil that has had unfortunate accidents with their tailings has, has had to revamp its regulation in the past years. Chile has also a lot of very interesting regulation, and so also Peru. But for example, a country like Colombia, my home country, has a lot to work on in terms of tailing and mine closure uh, regulation. Uh, and for example, in terms of climate change, which I think is not the, only the case of Latin America, but in general, most climate change uh, regulations with regards to mining are still voluntary uh, and uh, on a voluntary basis. Although there are some countries, for example, Chile just enacted a law uh, to, in terms of climate change that will eventually imply that companies will have to have specific targets to reduce their, their contributions. So in those specific areas, there are some, some challenges. But perhaps I think the biggest challenge for Latin America, and I guess maybe that's also the case in Africa and in other developing countries, is capacity. Capacity in two senses. One, the capacity of the public institutions. So we, have, we might have great regulation, great laws, great policies, but often the public institutions that need to do the inspection of these regulations or they have to uh, grant some sort of permits or the like, often, more often than not, unfortunately, don't have the capacity. So I think that's one big challenge. And then another big challenge that I'm sure, Sheila, you know this example from Africa as well, is there are different types of mining. So perhaps for bigger, larger projects, more modern types of mining, it's easier to comply with these regulations versus, say, smaller artisanal and small-scale miners that have uh, trouble complying with these very, very difficult regulation, so there's a whole discussion that perhaps has to happen about having differential regulation for different types of mining. So yeah. in, in general, there are some gaps and there's also some challenges in terms of capacity. Yeah, no, you are right about uh, capacity because I, I was involved very briefly uh, at the World Bank at the ADB with a project uh, in which, uh, you know, we essentially documented all the mining laws on the 54 African states and affiliate uh, laws. And uh, the laws themselves were by and large impressive. But then when you went to the ground to look at the institutions and the people behind the laws, the gap was phenomenal. Because of course, it's easy to sit down and get a, a lawyer to draft a law. And in any case, the provisions tend to be the same. But you're also right that many of the laws were flawed in that they always assumed large scale mining and there was not enough attention given to 
small scale and artisanal miners. The result of which is that environmentally controlling that space remains a big problem on the continent, both uh, in Latin America, Africa, and for that matter, Asia. But there's something else that is, uh, I guess in some respect, uh, unique about Latin America. And it is this that you have a very diverse uh, ecological system. And if you look at the Argentina, right at the bottom, you are almost near the Antarctica. And then you go to Panama uh, in the Northwest, and then you go in the middle, uh, it's completely different. And I wonder how you think in a region that is so diverse, not just in mineral wealth and type of minerals and type of processes, but also ecologically, how, how does a region at all come up with a coherent standard or guidelines for miners so that there can be the same view of what it takes to protect the environment? Well, I think that the region has to, of course, take international best practices, but it has to make regulation tailor-made for those specific conditions in the region, because as you mentioned, this region is very diverse. So we have tropical forests that will have a very specific management that has to happen, but you also have deserts where the environmental challenges, for example, in Chile and Peru, are more related to water management, for example. Uh, and so it's a matter of really addressing the issues that are specific for each region, in, but of course, referencing those best practices. And I think there's a lot of work to be done. And that's going back to my due diligence argument. It's also important for whomever is looking at standards to understand the context in which they are being implemented. And in the environmental issues, understanding the environment in which mining takes place, specifically in Latin America, has to have has to happen, has to be taken into account. Because a one-size-fits-all regulation, as you say, does not apply because every region is different. Sure. So here's my last question to you. I sense a, a tension between some of the things you advocate. Uh, and it's not really unique. I think the world faces this tension come contradiction. And, and here it is. First, um, the world needs a lot of minerals to transist. And, and from what I gather, even if we recycled everything that has been produced today and produced at the capacity we are, we still wouldn't have enough minerals to facilitate this mega transition to uh, clean energy. But at the same time, to your point, uh, the regulations are not always ready. Uh, the institutions and people are not always capacitated. So I can't help asking you, Carolina, where, what comes first? How should we prioritize? Uh, must we establish tried and tested systems first? Or must we learn as we go uh, forward? And if we do so, what if we get it wrong? Well, I think we have to um, be, be, be positive in the sense of thinking that it is possible to produce minerals with good standards and that it doesn't come at the expense of the environment or communities. And that implies setting up standards that, as I mentioned before, should be really taken into account the specific conditions of different regions and where there's a lot of things that can be improved 
using technology, innovation, but especially, I think, having uh, the voice of communities uh, being heard and understanding how these projects might be impacting those communities. Uh, and to, in order to ultimately not only contribute these minerals for the energy transition and other purposes, but also to ensure that whatever is being produced really improves the livelihoods of the people who are living next to these projects, which is, I think, what should be the ultimate objective of the producing regions, to ensure that they're done properly, contribute to these like world goals, but also that they ensure that the livelihoods of communities are better in the, after the mining takes place. Fantastic. Well, as always, it was inspiring speaking with you, and I'm confident that you will continue to be a force in your community. Thank you very much for speaking to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast, Carolina. I'm sure we'll touch base again soon. Thank you, Sheila. It was a pleasure to speak to you again, as always.